Hey everyone, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you to use our Blick affiliate link when you order your art supplies from Blick.com. When you're shopping, just navigate to Blick by going to MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick or clicking the Blick button in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage. And you can also just bookmark that link, and that way every time you buy your art stuff, uh, you're benefiting the podcast and you don't even need to think about it. You just use your bookmark. Uh, I also want to let everyone know that the Pan Pastel sets are 20 to 40% off right now. I know Rebecca really likes these a lot, and it's a great time to stock up on your favorites. The full 80 color set is only 330 bucks right now. That's normally $550. There are also a bunch of really nice 10 color sets that are normally 60 for only $36.92. So once again, take advantage of that promotion and support the Messy Studio Podcast by going to www.messystudiopodcast.com slash Blick, or just click the Blick button in the upper left-hand corner of the Messy Studio homepage. All right, that's it for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about abstracting our visual experience. Abstraction takes many forms for artists, from working with the visual elements for their own sakes, to using emotion and mood as a starting point, to interpreting what they see in the world around them. Many artists combine these approaches to find their own personal voice in abstraction. Today we're going to examine the path favored by many artists who are inspired by the figure, the landscape, or other subjects in the visual world, while avoiding literal depiction. What are some things to consider if this is your own direction or intrigues you with its possibilities? With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. Uh, So this approach to abstraction where taking ideas from what you see is really the basis of my own way of working. And I guess that's why I find it sort of endlessly intriguing for a long time going way back. uh, My work has been kind of uh, sourced in the landscape in one way or another. And particularly in the last few years, it's been this kind of wild and rugged landscapes that I've experienced in uh, west coast of Ireland and now in New Mexico and other places. And so it's been this ongoing thing, exploration for, for many years with different ideas involved, different media sometimes. But always kind of coming back to this idea that this is the basis of it, is the landscape, and in no literal way. I mean, my work for a long time hasn't looked that much like landscape in any kind of realistic way, although it did actually start out that way. So, um, And also because of the work I've been doing with Cold Wax Academy, the program that I have with Jerry McLaughlin, and some of the interactions with our members there have brought this topic up to me. We had uh, Last week, we had... Um, an abstract figurative painter as a guest, Melinda Kutsona. And it was really interesting to watch her work. She did a, a demo with the figure in an abstract way. And there was another kind of interaction I had with one of the members who posted uh, two different paintings that she was working on. One was a landscape in the sense that, you know, had a horizon line, had a sky, 
you could see that it was a landscape, but it was it was quite loosely and abstractly done. And then she did another one that uh, was less, as we say, referential. I mean, it was it was harder to tell what her source idea was. Uh, just kind of shapes and colors uh, that the landscape evoked for her. And we had a little, just very brief discussion about the two and how she felt about them and that the abstract one felt more freeing and there were more possibilities with it, or the more abstract one. So um, anyway, those are kind of interesting interactions now and have been going on for years with me. in my own work as well. So, but recently, I think I've mentioned a couple times on on the podcast that I've gotten interested in the abstract figure, and that's different because it's always just been sort of the landscape. Um, and also, um, I have had some paintings that I was looking at buildings or, um, you know, architecture. And so, I feel like I'm somebody who's quite influenced by the visual world, although filtering it through these other approaches that you mentioned in the introduction, the um, emotion and mood, that always plays a role, as well as kind of what we call pure abstraction, which is just manipulating the visual elements for their own sake. And those also play a role. So it's like a lot of people, I'm sort of combining these. But I thought looking closer at this outside world as a source of ideas would be an interesting podcast. And and it's kind of, for me, it's kind of inner landscape versus outer landscape. Um, am I depicting what I see or am I depicting my response to what I see? And I think that's kind of a basic question. Uh, for me, I'm I'm more in the end of I'm trying to work with what I what my own response is rather than the actual details of what I see. But it's all part of the visual language. Um, getting a lot of ideas from things like rocks, you know, the texture, the kind of little lines that you see in rocks, uh, colors. And those are aspects of what I'm seeing out there that that do come into my work. And I think another really basic question is, what do I want other people to take away from this? Um, you know, do I want to, do I want people to say, oh, this is a landscape? Or do I want people to say it, it, um, I have associations with landscape when I look at this, or it evokes something in me, a memory of landscape or something like that. And I'm, I'm more interested in that second, that second part. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the art that we create is what's interesting about it is what it evokes in other people and abstraction gives us an an opportunity to really play with how we all experience reality subjectively and what one person takes away from an image can be different from what another person does. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as an abstract painter, even when you know what your source is or what you had in mind, you sort of have to be open to that other interpretation because you're you're setting people up with something that is evocative and and yes you want them to feel something to think of something to remember something when they look at it um usually i mean some abstract artists are pretty much purely intellectual or conceptual but those of us at the end of the more slightly emotional or um 
subjective, as you say, end of things, we do want we want to we want people to feel something when they look at it. And then you have to be, I think, you have to be kind of open to whatever that is. And people will tell you what it is often. And, you know, sometimes my initial reaction is, oh, really? Well, that's not really what I had in mind. But hey, in the end, it is, I'm engaging them in some way. And so um, I think it's our human nature to to look for for imagery, for stories, for whatever, and whatever we're looking at. Um, so I think that, you know, getting back to kind of like what, what I'm taking personally, and then I'll go into some more general things, but what I'm taking from the landscape and then manipulating and using in my own way, intricate surfaces. Um, I'm always looking at rocks and lichen and things like that where nature has created these incredibly nuanced um, textural surfaces and those play a part in my work even if they turn out to be quite different visually from what I've seen that idea of this layering and this richness over time um, and the incredible variety that you see in nature is definitely part of what I do and as well that you know, related the the kind of rich color that you see in the landscape um, are you know that that's a goal. That's a goal for me. And but there's also an emotional component. I feel in a lot of my work there's kind of a a longing or a um, a desire for connection with with what's out there in nature, with that beauty and that power. Um, it's it just kind of infuses my work with this kind of underlying, I don't know what to call it beyond just a desire for connection and what I feel when I'm out there, when I pay attention and when I just sit in the landscape, when I'm on a walk, sometimes I just sit and just try to experience what's around me really directly. So I try to bring that to my work and and, and I try to also have this kind of personal balance of those three aspects, which it's to put it simply, it's what you see, what you feel, and um, also what you're exploring intellectually in terms of the visual elements. So it's kind of eyes and heart and mind. I think all of us that work with this type of abstraction are finding ways to combine those three. Right, and you're trying to create a, a shared experience with the viewer through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we as viewers experience art that way, um, with our eyes, with our emotions, and with what we know, or what in kind of a, you know, is uh, inspiring to us intellectually. So for me, the best paintings are ones that you could look at in various ways, and on the intellectual level, you're looking at how do these colors relate, or how is this composition put together. Um and on the emotional level, how does it make me feel? Um, and obviously on the visual level, there's lots and lots there, which will provoke different types of responses and different um, people. So, you know, considering all that, but but for a lot of artists, it is that first one, what they're seeing is very inspiring to their work. Um it's actually hard for me to imagine doing um, artwork that is totally without that reference. And I know that people do, and they are totally involved in just the visual elements. But 
I guess it's just a personality thing. And sometimes people feel that, oh, if I'm an abstract artist, I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't go to those places of uh, memory of objects or places um, or people or looking at things that way. They feel like abstraction should be so pure. But, um, you know, I, I believe abstraction covers a lot of ground. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that having abstraction that's more grounded in some basis of reality uh, aids in composition? Um, that it gives you a better sense of, of the way that things should be organized on the canvas or on the, on the, hmm. the board? That's interesting. Um, and, and yeah, possibly, possibly so, because as, as humans, we do organize things in certain ways as we look at them. We look for sort of patterns. We look for um, colors that repeat, and we look for shapes that we are evocative in some way. And so, yeah, maybe nobody avoids this reference completely, um, even if their work appears to be very pure abstraction. Um, we're, we're human. <laughs> we look at things a certain ways. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So I, I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, how to go about this, if, if this is of interest to you. If you're already involved with it, this will be maybe supportive, or maybe there's some different ideas here. It's also a topic that interests people when they, maybe they've been working in a really uh, representational way, and they feel very tied to what they see. And um, sometimes this is, <laughs> people get to that point where they say, well, I really would like to explore abstraction. And for some people, it's a total leap into, I will try to avoid any reference to the visual world, because that gives them this complete freedom that they're looking for. For other people, it's kind of working your way in, you know, it's kind of, which was, it was that way for me. I just gradually started loosening up my uh, more literal references and then evolved into what I'm doing now. So there's different ways to go about this. But for the people that are kind of easing their way in, this may be kind of interesting. And I would say one of the questions to ask yourself and this is really actually, I would say, true for anybody working abstractly, how, in what ways do you want to engage the viewer? Um, that That is a goal, to engage the viewer. Do you want the viewer to know what the source of your work is? That's pretty basic. Do you want somebody to look at your work and say, you know, I'm getting a feeling of landscape, or I'm getting a feeling of the figure? And to what degree, to what extent? Are you going to describe that? You can, as we were just kind of talking about, you can be inspired by the visual world, but there's really not a lot of obvious um, evidence of that. <laughs> uh, you might look at a painting that appears to be shape and color and without reference to anything that you can identify, but maybe that is where the artist came from. You, As the artist, you can take some pretty giant steps away from that original idea. And that's really, that's a personal decision. Um, if you if you fall in the kind of the area of, um, I'm going to leave some reference, I'm going to let people know that, uh, I guess in my own work, I would say I would let people know that nature inspires my work. But I'm avoiding people labeling it as, oh, that's a rock, that's a tree. Um, and this whole idea of labeling 
is another place where the the human brain wants to label things. <laughs> and that's why people often look at work that doesn't have any obvious imagery in it and say, well, you know what I see there is, and they'll tell you, I see a figure, I see a mountain, you know, something. And if you're really trying to avoid those labels, this can be a little disconcerting because sometimes I think, oh, thanks for telling me that. Now I can't not see it, you know, <laughs> and I didn't want it there. <laughs> um, so, but but recognizing that human impulse as the artist, you can try to avoid that if you don't want it there. The thing about labeling is that once you say, oh, and sometimes people say, oh, yeah, that's a mountain, you know, like, yes, it is. But it wasn't for me, the artist. But once they've labeled it as a mountain, then maybe it's a little bit, maybe it's a way into the painting. Maybe it's a way to stop thinking about the painting. Um, labeling kind of goes both ways, I think. Real quick, I want to let everyone know about what's new with Squeegee Press. Squeegee Press has now undergone its beautiful transformation to become Cold Wax Academy. And what's more, for everyone who enjoys using their special cold wax tools, all sizes of the SP Create Squeegees are now back in stock. Rebecca and her partner, Jerry McLaughlin, are also launching their online live learning sessions as part of the new membership program, and all sessions will be recorded for future viewing by members. For more information and to become a member of Cold Wax Academy, please visit their website at www.coldwaxacademy.com and click on the membership button. That's www.coldwaxacademy.com and hit the membership button. All right, let's get back into it. So anyway, as the artist, you have, a, would say, a fair amount of control over how much recognizable imagery you're going to put into your work. And uh, asking yourself, do you want it there? And there are, you know, as I just said, there's kind of two ways to look at that. It can be a way in for the viewer. It can be a way that the viewer satisfies themselves rather quickly that, okay, I know what this painting is about and moves on. Um, how much of, of someone else's imagination uh, do you want to engage? How much ambiguity do you want in there? So, um, you know, th that's a pretty central question for people that are working with abstraction that's that's coming from what they're what they're seeing. It really abstraction does not rule out an obvious subject. I don't want to give that impression. It's the way that's it's handled that makes it abstraction. And this last little bit was talking about, well, how do you want people to see it? Um, how do you want to handle it? That's really the degree of abstraction that you're going to bring to it. So the other thing about about labeling is um, that the the flip side of, of not labeling and allowing the viewer to label it themselves or the, allow that to be an entry point is, in fact, labeling it even though it may not be recognizable as that object. Hmm. Um, and the example that comes to mind is nude descending a staircase. Um, if you look at this piece of work, you may not see a nude descending a staircase. Uh, but because that is the title of the painting, you begin to notice that this shape is 
figure shaped and yeah yeah that it exists in in a in a world that could very well be a staircase <laughs> so well right and that's you know that's another topic the whole topic of titles is one that um i recently brought up with someone on the cold wax academy member page because i looked at her painting and i saw shapes and colors and the title of it was something like um, after the harvest, I think it was. And then I look at it and I see these, you know, those big round bales of uh, hay that end up in the field after the the hay's been cut. And and then I saw it as a row of those hay bales, which I had not before. And so it really brought up the question of titles, as you said, with um, Duchamp's new Descending the Staircase. Um yeah, you read the title, and often people go right to the label, the the title, to see, oh, what am I supposed to see? Oh, okay, I get it. Um, in the case of that particular painting I was just talking about, I thought, well, I kind of liked it better if I didn't know the title. Um, I was just appreciating the, the patterning and the colors and shapes. And then the title forces me to see it in a certain way. So titling is a big issue. And it's a very direct way of controlling somebody's response because once you read the title, you can't not read the title. <laughs> you know, you can't not know that. Um, and yet, artists often come to those titles as a last step. They're trying to think of a title, um, and they have painted this abstract thing, and they say, "Oh, actually, that looks like." hay bales in a field. I don't know in that case whether the title came first or later, but I see this often with abstract painters who want to label it, who want to bring something from some way in, I guess, some something yeah. to tell the viewer this is one way to look at it at least. Well, I think it's just another way to play with the perception of the viewer. Um, right. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a bad idea to use no. your title or uh, to label things in such a way that manipulates the, the viewer's perception of the image. Um, well, it's right. just, it, it, it's situational. It may be appropriate. It may not. Well, and you know, when you say what you just said, I, I can see that a title also like that after the harvest also makes you think, Oh, you know, I've seen hay bales at a field, but I never looked at them as an abstract pattern before. So the title can can kind of combine the viewer's um, experience of seeing things in with a more abstract vision is kind of interesting. Uh, maybe inviting people to look at everyday things in a different way and say, oh, yes, there is a lot of pattern around us. There's a lot of really interesting color relationships and so in that way, yeah, it could open open up things. So it's probably quite personal whether the viewer prefers to have a title that kind of explains the piece or or puts a label on it, or whether they would prefer it to be called, you know, composition in yellow and blue or something. I mean, it's that's probably pretty personal to the viewer. But as the artist, you know, you can decide that. And what interests you? Like, do you want that there or do you not? And that's a pretty good question. Um, and, and bringing up the power of titles, I think we did a podcast early on about titles. It's a really big topic, actually. But we're just kind of throwing that in there because it's part of this type of work and it's part of labeling. Absolutely. Um, 
so, you know, I kind of was starting to lead in there a little while ago, I think before the break, about um, the way that you handle, if you're working with subject matter, the way that you handle it, how abstractly you handle it, you know, that's a key issue, if that's what you're doing. And so um, one of the things that marks a piece as being more abstract, I think, is the way that space is handled. Because if there's a sense of physical depth, like you're looking at a scene, the reference is much stronger. And you see this in a lot of abstract landscapes, um, that there there's a horizon line, or there's some cue that says, we're looking at a scene here. Above is sky, below is earth. Uh, that's a really basic and uh, almost unavoidable association when you use a horizon line in a landscape painting. So right away it's being seen as a scene as you're looking out at something in front of you. Whereas a lot of abstraction, pure abstraction or other types of abstraction, there's a very kind of flat picture plane. You're looking at paint on a surface. Um, and this one step of whether you're showing a sense of depth or you're not, um, really takes the viewer away from the usual ways of seeing or identifying a subject. And it's not that these other types of abstraction don't have depth, they do, but the depth can come from, say, warm and cool colors or the layering of paint or uh, something else that brings depth to the surface of the work. But it, it's different than that sort of perspective look um, that you would see looking out at a scene. Um, there's another aspect of abstraction that's pretty strong that says this is an abstract painting, and that is that most abstract artists will focus on a few of the visual elements. So um, if you're painting realistically, you need to use all the visual elements to be to make a convincing appearance to have that um, that realistic look. Whereas, if you're working more abstractly, you, you're free to play with that. And you may say, well, really, I'm very interested in color or really very interested in shape. And that's what's going to come out in the piece. And so when you look at a painting that clearly is in a way, in one way, it's about color or in one way, it's about shape. That's a degree of abstraction that the artist is is bringing in there. They're exploiting what they can say with just a couple of the visual elements. Um, another aspect of abstract art that uses reference to the visual world or the real world is the use of symbols. Um, there are abstract symbols for sure, um, letters and numbers for one, uh, triangles and circles. But here we're talking about, let's say, a particular type of bird is a is a personal symbol for you as the artist or any object. And you can use that object, that symbol. You can depict it realistically, but it's the way that it's used. If it's used against, say, a pattern background or a flat color or some other way that says to the viewer, we're not looking at a scene here. Yes, I identify this bird, but we're looking at it um, not as a bird in a landscape. And this kind of slight differentiation but in, in thinking, really. But you see it very often in many types of art where there's a pattern that includes um, a, an object that you identify. 
And you can take that idea in your own way and kind of lift it out of its context, I guess. And we we did a sh- really short interview recently with Deborah Mursky, and she does this in her work. If you looked on, on our Facebook page for examples of her work, I think this was maybe a month ago, she's using um, uh, botanical images and things. Uh, a boot is one of her images. And they are just placed on a on a, uh, a blank background. And so you're focused on the image itself. And there's a difference then between putting it into a scene and just focusing on the image. So those are, those are cues of how abstract it is. And if you're kind of trying to find your way into this, you can look at, can you manipulate the space in some way? Can you make it flatter um, and eliminate that dimensional kind of uh, 3D look? Um, can you pull out certain visual elements that you're particularly interested in, focus on, uh, or could you be working with symbols in some way? So those are kind of three uh, routes in if you're playing with this idea. And I think it's also really good to look at artists, look at a lot of different artists. And one that comes to my mind is Richard Diebenkorn, because over his lifetime, he worked with different abstract approaches. He started out this kind of abstract expressionist, very kind of just emotional, um, direct channel use of pain. And then um, he started to explore the figure. And a lot of us are familiar with his images of figures and landscape. And then later he moved into this kind of formal geometric abstraction. That's probably his best known work. Um, but he all along, you know, you can look at that. He had interest in color and he had interest in shape. And you see this in light and you see this continuing kind of interest playing out in different ways of approaching abstraction. And the figurative work and the landscape work was always, you know, I'd say definitely on the abstract end of things. But it's, it's this flexibility of exploration of these basic ideas. And I think that's really interesting. Um, and, you know, when you think about, I talked about, like, how much information do you want to give the viewer for their own interpretation? Th- if you're thinking about the figure, and you see this in Demon Korn's work, the, you don't see a lot of facial expression. I, I think he pretty much avoids uh, filling in the face to any extent. So that that's one thing that allows the viewer to not focus on the face, but rather the figure. I mean, I think as people, we're drawn to faces, right? If you, if you have a figure without with only a vague sort of face, your your viewpoint goes beyond them. You see the figure as a whole. You see it in the landscape, whatever. Um, and as I mentioned, with if you're referencing the landscape, leaving out cues that tell you it's a landscape, most importantly, the horizon line and perspective. And what I think this does is it puts the viewer the person you're communicating with, let's say, into the space rather than looking at the space. Um, there's more of a sort of uh, surrounding kind of feeling than something you're seeing out of a window. Um, another question to ask yourself, if, you, if you're interested in this kind of work, what draws you to this subject that you're working with beyond its visual appearance? What, what do you feel about it? What moves you about it? 
uh, if you're working with a figure, there may be a mood of certain poses. Or if you're working with a street scene, maybe it's that really pleasing geometry of the way that these blocks of color and texture kind of fit together. And then you can think about how to express those things that interest or move you without closely describing them as subject matter. And this could kind of go in stages. As I mentioned, some people move gradually in the direction of abstraction. They're gradually emphasizing more and more of what it is that interests them about the subject. And just a couple more things uh, before we before we end here to touch on with this whole topic is um, sometimes you just take visual information from what you're interested in. And the example I can think of is you're looking out um, at a sea, you're looking at, at a seascape, basically. You're seeing where the sea and the sky meet, that, that very straight horizon line. And up above it and down below it, you see these gradations of color that happen in the water and in the sky. And that, you know, just looking at, oh, look at how those colors gradually shift. It's kind of all in the same color range, but there's all these different hues and values. And so you could take that that visual information and use it in a completely abstract way, maybe just as bands of color. Um, and, and you can do that with just about anything that you're interested in. You know, what is it? What is it? What do you take visually? What do you take emotionally from what you're seeing? And the last thing I wanted to mention was um, the topic of dualities. And this is something that um, Jerry and I are talking about tomorrow, but it will already have passed when you hear the podcast on our, um, our Cold Wax Academy membership program. But the idea of, you know, we talk a lot about contrast of the visual elements, like, oh, we want value contrast, or we want color relationships. But the idea of dualities is the contrast of meaning in things. What interests you um, in terms of a subject may include dualities, like, um, say, big shapes and little shapes, or a piece a peaceful feeling and a dramatic feeling. You can get both looking at the landscape. Um, you may look at the landscape and see the vistas, the the distance, but you can also look up close at, at fragile textures. And just thinking about what are the dualities in the subject that you're interested in. Maybe it's movement and stillness. Um, how can you bring both of those things into your abstract work? And there is just a little bit of a mind shift there where you're trying to look for these uh, opposite qualities, but they both exist that can really energize your work and and help you see a way into to working with it more abstractly. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? I would say that people often have a a kind of a limited idea of what abstraction means. I mean, if you if you don't know much about it or you haven't thought much about it, you may think, well, it's mainly about shape and color or design. Um, but if you just only think about the early modernist artists like Matisse and Cezanne, you can see that movement away from realism, but they're still keeping subject matter. And this work, Today, we look back at it, we say that we recognize the figure, we recognize the landscape, but we also recognize that they're moving into abstraction with this work. And 
there were many, many more artists that followed, and where you see this inspiration by the visual of the visual world, but less and less reference to it. And so hopefully this podcast has given a little bit of insight into working with that kind of inspiration from the visual world, but but being much less literal about it and being more on that continuum towards pure abstraction. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.